So, good to be with you this morning. Uh, uh, really glad to be here in Gilnahirk and to share with you from God's Word. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 1 to 17 uh, this morning. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 uh, to 17. <clears throat> After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. <clears throat> and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. We pray that God would bless that reading of his word to our hearts this morning. <clears throat> you may know, I didn't mention it this morning, but you may know that I've chosen the theme of church planting uh, for my year as president of our association of churches. So wherever I go or everywhere I go, I try to draw attention to the idea or the theme of church planting, especially from the book of the Acts. And this morning I'm taking you to Acts chapter 18 to remind you how the church in Corinth came into being how Paul planted the church there. And this message this morning was confirmed to me as I listened to Matt Campbell uh, preach on Tuesday night at the Irish Baptist College commencement service in Naconi. He spoke from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 6, and he pointed out very helpfully that the passage has uh, a verse 1, we do not lose heart, and in verse 16, Paul says exactly the same thing, therefore we do not lose heart. I had never seen the link uh, before between that little phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Paul's experience while he was planting the church at Corinth. He was losing heart. He was tempted to lose heart. But why? Well, what kind of a place was Corinth? To put it bluntly, it was very like the society that we live in today. Greece has hit the headlines this summer for the extreme heat that it suffered during the wildfires that broke out on a number of its islands. 
But a few years ago, Greece was hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Its economy had become the basket case of Europe. It had to be bailed out again and again to the tune of billions of euro by richer European states. A country that should be able to make millions from its tourism industry alone was bankrupt, and many Greek citizens were struggling to make ends meet. But it wasn't like that whenever Paul came to town in the middle of the first century. He arrived there in the year 49 AD, and at the time Corinth was a Roman colony, vying with Athens just along the coast to be the most important city in the region. Geographically, Corinth is at one of the major crossroads of Europe. Corinth was situated on a small isthmus, a narrow neck of land, just about four miles across between the two Roman provinces of Macedonia to the north and Achaia to the south. And those two provinces together now make, the, make up the modern country of Greece. So Corinth got all the passing trade from north to south by land. But as well as that, in those days, a lot of business was done around the Mediterranean Sea by ship. And Corinth was between two ports, just four miles apart. In those days, Centria opened onto the eastern Mediterranean towards Turkey. And on the other side, Lycaon opened onto the western Mediterranean towards Italy. So it couldn't have been in a better position. In fact, to save a trip of 250 miles around Achaia to the south by sea, Many sea captains actually got their crews to haul their ship up onto dry land in the port of Centria and drag it across on skids the four miles to Lachaim and put it back into the water again. Why would you send your cargo 250 miles around by sea when you can go just four miles by land? Eventually, in 1893, a canal was finally opened up between the two ports across those four miles of land. So Corinth didn't just get the north-south trade within Greece, it also got the east-west trade between the eastern and western Mediterranean. The world was its oyster. Corinth was the center of commerce in the first century world. It was a very important city, both geographically and commercially. And because of these business links, it was very pro prosperous materially. Just to illustrate all the comings and goings in this busy city, in Acts chapter 18, we have Paul in verse 1, we have Aquila and Priscilla in verse 2, and we have Apollos by the end of the chapter, all passing through the city of Corinth, going in different directions around the Mediterranean, but they all pass through Corinth in this chapter. It was a real meeting point between east and west, north and south. But there's something else we have to say about Corinth. It was a very immoral city. Like many seaports today, with many sailors passing through far from home and family life, prostitution was big business in the city of Corinth. In fact, the immorality of Corinth was closely tied in with the religion of Corinth. Above the city, on a rocky outcrop known as the Acrocorinth, stood the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. One thousand women worked at the temple during the day, but they went down into the city to work as prostitutes during the night. And these shrine prostitutes encouraged men to think of having sex with them as a religious experience. That's how warped and mixed up and immoral the city of Corinth was. It would be like Soho in London or Pigalle in Paris. But if that was the prevailing culture in the city of Corinth, can you imagine how hard it must have been for someone to try to turn their back on all of that and to become a Christian. 
Can you imagine how hard it must have been to plant a church there? Well, we live in a sex-mad society today. But when Paul went to Corinth to preach the gospel for the very first time, he stepped into a sex-mad society there too. Not a bit of wonder, the church that Paul planted in Corinth turned out to be a very challenging church. And that's the title that Mark Dever used for his good book guide on 1 Corinthians. He called it Challenging Church. And we live at a very challenging time for churches today, don't we? Conservative evangelical churches like ours are sometimes seen as boring by a younger generation who are tempted to go off and look for new church experiences, churches maybe with less structure, more freedom, livelier worship, where denominational distinctives and doctrines don't seem to be as important anymore. And so we get adrift sometime from our churches. But many are left hurt and bewildered by those churches. And that's what Corinth was like. That's the place that Corinth was. So secondly, this morning, what kind of a preacher was Paul in Corinth? The place and the preacher. There's a lot of debate as to how Paul was feeling as a preacher of the gospel by the time he arrived into the city of Corinth. Corinth was the final place that Paul planted a church at the end of this second missionary journey. During the course of this journey, he had planted a church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, away up in the north. He'd ended up with his back bleeding and his feet in the stocks in the process. And after experiencing an earthquake while he was in prison, it blew his prison doors open and he headed on down the road eventually to Thessalonica across the coast, Acts 17, where he planted another church in a very short space of time. And it probably only took a matter of weeks for the church in Thessalonica to come into being. But after a riot there, He slipped away quietly during the night and he went down the road to Berea where again he was successful in seeing people turn to Christ. But again, he was chased from there by jealous Jews. So Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea all across the north of Macedonia. But Paul had to be smuggled out of Berea and taken down to the coast and put on a boat for Athens while his fellow missionaries stayed behind to try to help these fledgling churches. He faithfully preached the gospel alone in Athens, nobody else with him, and saw a number of people converted to Christ in Acts 17 at the very heart of Greek culture. But because of all the persecution and personal danger that Paul had come through, some commentators believe that by the time he reached Corinth, he was a lonely, discouraged missionary. Some even suggest he may have arrived there in ill health. He sort of hints at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, at the start of that first letter to the church there. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3, it says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Maybe that's why he felt like giving up in verses 9 to 10 of Acts 18, as we'll see. Was he losing heart, being tempted to lose heart, as he talks about in 2 Corinthians 4 that Matt Campbell spoke about last Tuesday night? Was he feeling like giving up? Was he feeling like losing heart? Some see this as the reason why Paul sought out a couple of tent makers called Aquila and Priscilla when he arrived in Corinth. Look at verses 
2 and 3 of Acts 8. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he sent to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Is it because he's feeling down? Is it because he's feeling like giving up, losing heart, that he turns to Aquila and Priscilla for a bit of mutual support? He goes back to his trade of tent making for a while. Aquila and Priscilla are a married couple from a Jewish background who have just been expelled from Rome by the Emperor Claudius. He had taken a decision to throw all the Jews out of Rome because there were too many riots over someone he referred to as Christos. We would call him Christ. They were Jews debating and falling out and fighting over whether or not Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the Messiah. That was the issue that was dividing opinion in the Jewish populations across the Roman Empire at that time. Those who could see that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and those who rejected him as their Messiah. And they were always falling out over this. So Claudius banned them all from Rome and he sent them away. Paul had come through many ups and downs on his missionary journey. He was only human. We've got to remember that. So it is possible that he arrived in Corinth a bit deflated and discouraged, isolated and alone. So what did he do? Well, with the support of Priscilla and Aquila in the background, Paul continued to reason in the synagogue each Sabbath, we're told in verse 4, on his day off from tent making. So throughout the week, he would have made the tents And on the Sabbath, our Saturday, he'd have gone along to the synagogue to try to reason with the Jews from the Scriptures. You know, there's a lot to be said for tent-making in Christian ministry. By that is meant carrying on some kind of secular employment to help support yourself, as well as giving some time each week to gospel work. In the States, they call it bivocational ministries. I did it for about two years as I started out in ministry over 30 years ago. I worked about 20 hours a week as a science technician in a high school in Fidemill Town and used the rest of my time to look after Mullock Main, a small fledgling church, and indeed to plant a new church in Calvin at the same time. That was all before I was married, working all hours back in those days. But that's what Paul did for a while. But when his companions, Timothy and Silas, verse 5, came from Macedonia, they brought with them a gift from the church in Philippi. And Paul refers to that gift in Philippians chapter 4, and he thanks them for their generosity. And it was that gift that enabled Paul to wholeheartedly throw himself back into the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace on a full-time basis until he was opposed by the Jews in verses 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. With renewed courage and conviction, Paul stood up to the Jews and publicly shook out the dust from his clothes against against them. Where did that come from? Well, that's something that the watchman for the house of Israel would have done back in Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel was called to be the watchman for the house of Israel to warn them to get right with God while there was yet time. If they didn't listen, he was to shake the dust from his feet 
and from his garments as a testimony against them. He was responsible to warn God's people Israel of the judgment that was coming. But if they wouldn't listen, there was nothing more the watchman could do. And as he shook out the garments, their blood was on their own heads. They were responsible for themselves from that moment onwards. He must publicly wipe the dust of his feet, shake out the dust from his garments as a testimony against them, and move on. And that's exactly what Paul seems to be about to do here. He shakes the dust from his clothing and states clearly that from then on he was turning his attention to the Gentiles. And that was often a major turning point for the gospel in the Acts of the Apostles. The moment the preacher turned to the Gentiles, whenever the the Jews refused to accept the gospel, it was then that they began to see remarkable numbers of new converts. I hinted at that earlier this morning in what Drew was asking me about. Where do I see the opportunities for the gospel in Ireland today? Sadly, we see decline in areas of East Belfast. Some churches struggling to keep their doors open in a predominantly Protestant community. And yet when we take the gospel into Catholic communities, we're seeing a movement of God's spirit. We're seeing people turning to Christ, maybe in those areas, in a way that we haven't seen it before. And maybe that's a bit like casting the net on the other side of the boat, turning to the Catholic population whenever the Protestant population seem to be wiping their hands of the gospel. It doesn't mean that we give up on them completely, but it means maybe a new emphasis or a direction for our work in the coming days. Well, from that moment onwards, Paul saw many conversions and baptisms. If you look at verses 7 and 8, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue, so he hasn't gone too far. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, so Jews can still get saved, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, Gentiles, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So he hadn't gone too far. He'd only moved next door from the synagogue with the gospel. He was still within earshot of the Jews, but now he's opening up the gospel for so many more to hear it in a neutral venue. In Corinth, he began to meet in the home of Titius Justice to preach the gospel in verse 7. In the next chapter, in Ephesus, he begins to meet in the lecture hall of Tyrannus to preach the gospel. In Corinth, he did this for a year and a half, verse 11. In Ephesus, he did it for at least two years, chapter 19 and verse 10. So Paul is beginning to use neutral venues for the proclamation of of the gospel. And today in our culture in Northern Ireland and indeed in the Republic, it has got to the point that we need to use neutral venues too. Places that are not seen as churchy. If we're really going to open up the gospel to all sections of our community. That's what we've been doing in Katy since September 2016. Around about the time a brand new community centre was opened by the council in the town, we started to use it on a number of occasions for special events. Then we built on that as we met there on the second Wednesday of each month for a small group Bible study and on the third Sunday night of each month for an outreach event. The usual meetings still continued in the church at Armagh, but this was the way forward if we wanted to reach the lost for Christ, those who don't darken any church door. And praise God, Katie is now a church in its own right, uh, fully constituted, has its own pastor, elders, deacons, members, and about around 100 meeting there each Sunday morning, including children, lots of children, lots of young families. 
and they're still meeting there in the TMAC, and it's serving their purposes really well. I think in the course of a year, for all their activities, it cost them something like £7,000. Well, you'd be paying an awful lot more than that trying to put up a building, wouldn't you? We have now moved on to use the community centre in Cross McGlen for outreach Bible studies, which started back just last Thursday night after the summer break. We had a good afternoon around the doors on Thursday afternoon. Maybe that's where I got the cold from. But we need to pray that local people will have the confidence to come in over the coming weeks to a building they're already familiar with, they already know well, but to come through the doors and into a room where they're going to study the Bible. Pray that that will happen in the coming days as we build on all the work that John Cunningham has done for many years. And of course, he's working with us. But if Paul still felt like giving up in Corinth, even after all was beginning to happen, I'm sure he must have been encouraged by God's promise in verses 9 to 11. So the place, the preacher, and the promise. What kind of a promise did God make to Paul in Corinth? Look at verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul, One night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people, or I have many people in this city. What a wonderful promise to get from the Lord himself in the midst of difficulty and discouragement in Corinth. It seems that the Lord knew that Paul was filled with fear, because that's the first thing he says to him, do not be afraid. It seems that the Lord knew that Paul was about to give up, because he says, don't be silent. He was tempted to keep his mouth shut and say nothing, like sometimes we are, maybe in our work situations. It seems that Paul was about to keep, keep quiet, to stop preaching and teaching God's word. Was he about to give up on sharing the gospel in the city of Corinth altogether, shake the dust of his feet and walk away? And God said, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. But then God said three more things to Paul, and he gave him three reasons to go on with the work in Corinth. He says, for I am with you. He says, for no one is going to attack and harm you. And he says, because I have many people in this city. Have you felt like giving up recently in something that God has asked you to do? Some ministry that God has given you to do? Have you felt like giving up? Well, listen this morning to God's three reasons for you to go on. Number one, God is with you. That's what he says, for I am with you. That's what God said to Moses at the burning bush when he called him to lead God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. I am who I am. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, I am has sent me to you. I am with you. I will be with you wherever you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said he was the great I am in John's gospel. Going to be looking at one of them tonight in Armagh. I am the bread of life. At the end of Matthew's gospel, when he gave us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, what promise did he give us then? Matthew 28, verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's why Paul had to go on faithfully preaching God's word, faithfully preaching the gospel, faithfully making disciples in Corinth, because God had called him. God was with him. And God was never going to leave him alone. And that's why you and I cannot be silent either. That's why you and I have to keep going in the work that God has called us to do. For God is with us. He hasn't left us. And we must keep going in his name 
and with his strength. Paul was so encouraged by what he had just heard, so much so that he stayed in Corinth, we're told, for another year and six months, another 18 months, to preach and teach God's word to saved and unsaved alike. That's foretold in verse 11. And during that time, many more were added to the new church in Corinth as they believed and were baptized. Look at verse 11. He stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. I don't know about Drew, but uh, I felt like leaving some of my churches over the years on various occasions. I felt like leaving Moloch Main and Cavan before my time. The very first time I felt like leaving Moloch Main, it was this very passage I was preaching on. And I said to the congregation, I'd be 18 more months with you. And I was. They didn't believe me at the time. But 18 months later, I moved on to look after the church in Cavan. But God used this verse several times in Cavan. He used another one, Galatians 6 and verse 9, on a couple of occasions where other churches were talking to me that I could have moved into the deep south of the Republic of Ireland or back up to the north. And on each occasion, God used Galatians 6 and verse 9. Do not become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And God, made, God gave us the strength to keep going and not to give up until both churches were firmly established and then we could move on to whatever the Lord had for us next. So that's the first reason to keep on preaching the gospel because God is with us. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through and he is with you. But what about the second reason that God gave to Paul in Corinth? He says, God is protecting you. He says, no one is going to attack you and harm you. No one will attack you to harm you. That's in verse 10. Now, after all that Paul had come through, the physical beatings in Philippi, the riots in both Thessalonica and Berea, the mockery of the philosophers in Athens, and the opposition and the abuse of the Jews in, in Corinth, Paul could have been forgiven for thinking, not this again. He could be forgiven for wishing for an easier life. But God said, I'm with you. And God said, no one is going to attack you and harm you. There are all kinds of spiritual battles going on behind the scenes whenever a city is being reached with the gospel, I believe, especially for the very first time. And that's with the case in Corinth. There were things that happened when we were trying to plant the church in Cavan. Our lives were even threatened at times when we, for example, took the amazing journey into a school near Baileyborough. Our elder just up the road from that school, a crowd came to attack them that night. It just so happened they had moved to a different house that very day, and they were going to live in that house for a number of weeks, a rental accommodation, while they did some renovations on their own house. And they were looked after. God watched over them. God was looking out for them. God was with us. God was protecting us. No one was able to attack us and harm us. Vandals did damage our church building again and again and again, but they never let a finger on us because God was looking after us. The Jews took Paul before the local Roman governor in verses 12 to 17, the proconsul of Achaia. They tried to get this man called Gallio to prescribe Christianity as a legitimate religion within Corinth and indeed the whole Roman Empire, but it didn't work. Gallio decided it was just an internal squabble within Judaism. So he wouldn't take anything to do with it. And he threw the matter out of court 
and Paul didn't even have to say a word. Maybe you're afraid of something this morning. Maybe you feel like giving up. But God says, I am with you. And I will not let anyone attack you or harm you. He will be true to his word to you, just as he kept his promise to Paul. And finally, look at the third reason that God gave Paul to stay in Corinth. God is with you. God is protecting you. And thirdly, God is sovereign. He says, because I have many people in this city. That's why you're to stay. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now, what on earth did God mean by that? Sure, Paul had only started to preach the gospel in that city. He'd only seen one or two converted to Christ. How could God say, I have many people in this city? It's because God has already chosen those that he's going to save. They're out there in this city of Belfast, just like they're out there in Armagh City. They're out in our surrounding towns and villages like Katy and Cross McGlen. God knows those who are his and those who are going to be his. God has chosen who he is going to save. That is a doctrine of Scripture that we cannot get away from. But he has also chosen the means whereby he's going to save them. And that's through the preaching of the gospel by the likes of you and me. And that's why we have to get out there and get on with it. That we come into contact with those that the Lord has already uh, chosen for salvation. And that's why Paul had to stay in Corinth for another 18 months. Because God wanted to use him to win many people for Christ. And that's why you need to keep at it in Gilnahirk. And I need to keep at it in Armagh and Cross McGlen for however long God has us there. Because he has many people to save in our cities and surrounding districts. Isn't that a wonderful encouragement to all of us this morning? God has something to do in and through you as a church and as individuals in this area. There's going to be a harvest of souls, and he wants you to be part of that harvest. And the question is, are you up for it? Over the years that followed, Paul would make many visits to Corinth. And he would write many letters to the church in Corinth too. Visit 1, that we've just looked at this morning, was marked by clear conversions. Visit 2 was marked by painful problems. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul had to deal with in the church. And visit 3 was marked by drastic discipline in 2 Corinthians 12 and 13, where Paul had to remove from the church fellowship those who were leading an immoral lifestyle and who weren't walking with the Lord in the way that they should. Clear conversions, visit 1. Painful problems, visit 2. Drastic discipline, visit 3. And these visits were interspersed by various letters written to Corinth by Paul. There are two letters to this church recorded in our Bibles, First and Second Corinthians, there were probably at least two more that have not survived. And you come across references to them as you go through First and Second Corinthians. Corinth was definitely a challenging church for Paul to deal with. But as you get stuck into another season of service here in Gildahirk, there are three things that I want you all to keep in mind. Number one, God says, I'm with you. Number two, God says, I'm protecting you. I've got your back. And number three, God says, I have many people to save in this city. I want, you to bring, want to bring you into contact with them. I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to be the means of them coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, 
Don't be silent about your Savior. Go and proclaim the good news. And keep going until the Lord Jesus Christ comes or calls. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Thank you.